Welcome to the Boone's Creek Baptist Church podcast. We are a church that exists to spread God's glory from our neighbors to the nations. This is Pastor Tim Wade, and we pray that you will be blessed as we consider God's living, active, and all-sufficient Word together. I'd ask that you turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 1. We are almost done with Genesis chapter 1. Almost. There's just so much good meat here for us to to glean from these verses and from the creation. So many foundational issues to address that shapes how we think about everything. That I want to make sure that we at least address most all of these issues. And even then, understanding that we aren't going to address them thoroughly. The thing we're going to be talking about today, our stewardship and dominion of the earth that God has given us, is something that volumes of books could be written on and have been written on. And so even this will just be a mere introduction into this issue. But as we begin this morning, I want to do so by asking you to close your eyes for just a moment And picture your favorite landscape, your favorite vista or view. Go ahead and think about what do you see? Do you see the the fields that are on your grandparents' farm? A beautiful woodland on a crisp fall morning with the leaves crunching under your feet? Perhaps you picture the same woodlands, but it's springtime and the branches of the trees are exploding with blossoms. Maybe it's a warm beach with clear water gently lapping at your feet. A mountain pass where you can see for miles in every direction. Peaceful lake, blue and cool. Maybe it's the Grand Canyon, a colossal fissure in the earth that cannot help but take your breath away. Capture that snapshot, that landscape in your mind and open your eyes. Whatever vista you imagined, whether oceans or desert, mountains or valleys, woodlands or fields, I would wager that what every one of us saw has something in common, and that is what it lacks. When I told you to imagine your favorite landscape, it's likely that none of you imagined setting on I-75 in standstill afternoon traffic. Last week, Philip talked about his great joy and delight in having to drive to Frankfurt three days a week, you know, and going back to the office and and dealing with that. That's probably not what he imagined. None of you probably imagined Times Square and all the busyness and hustle and bustle of that place. None of you probably imagined a colossal factory perched on the edge of a river spewing steam and smoke. See, when you conjure up in your mind your ideal place, we often remove the marks of humanity. There are no cars and honking horns, no standstill traffic. Cell phones aren't ringing. Emails aren't popping up. There's no Netflix in the background. No man-made monstrosities in our picturesque imaginings. And I think this reveals something Vital about what we know to be absolutely true deep down within. And that is that we are more at home, more at peace 
with the world around us, when we are able to slow down and take in the natural world that God has made. Wendell Berry, my favorite author and just so happens to be a Kentuckian, captures this truth beautifully in his poem, The Peace of Wild Things. He says, When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things, who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light for a time. I rest in the grace of the world and am free. The natural world around us is able to invigorate and energize us. It's able to soothe and calm us in a way that nothing else can really accomplish. And I believe that this is on purpose. It's baked into the design of the world that God has made. But I do not think that it's a result of God simply creating nature as a place of retreat for us, as a place of peace and rest alone for us. I believe that it's a result of God creating the world as a place over which we are to exercise stewardship and dominion. So often today we see nature as a place that we can go to escape the work of our lives. When instead, according to what we see here in Genesis, the natural world ought to be the very center of our life and our work. And when we go into the natural world to exercise stewardship and dominion, we find peace and joy because we are aligning ourselves with our God-given created purpose. Today we're going to discuss that purpose and how it relates to this world around us that we see. So then if you are able, I would ask this morning that you stand in honor of the reading of the Word of God as we consider Genesis 1, verses 26 through 31. There we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every living or, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the ground, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And once more, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. <coughs> God, we come before you once more grateful. 
grateful for the world that you have made. Yet also, Lord, we recognize that we in our fallen natural state are alienated from this world. There's a fissure in the, we, in the way that we think about the world and the way that we approach the world. And so, Lord, I pray that as we consider your word today, that you would heal the division, the alienation that we experience with your world, that we would see how it is that we are called to be good stewards and exercise dominion over the world that you have made. I know that for every one of us, that may look different. The applications of this text are countless. But Lord, I pray that you would build within each of us a desire to exercise this God-given role to be good stewards of the world which you have made. Help us to see this morning how we may begin to do that. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. From this passage, we can see, I think, three truths about the stewardship that God has given us. First, we see that we have a stewardship of living things. And when I say stewardship, I simply mean that we have been placed in charge of living things. The living things that God has made by God Himself. Second, we have a stewardship over growing things. And then finally, we'll see how this stewardship relates to true authority. God's authority. But first, and most obviously in this passage, we see that God gives man a stewardship over living things. As God creates man, as we've discussed in previous weeks, we can see clearly that man is the pinnacle of God's creation. Man is distinct from all other animals that God has made and that we are created uniquely in the image of God. And therefore we are inherently superior to the animals that God has made. But more than that, God places us in charge of the animals. The animals are in our care. In verse 26, God declares His intentions to give man dominion over the animals. He says, let's do this. Let's create man and let's give him dominion. And then, in verse 28, He actually does it. He he acts on His intentions and He gives man dominion over His created living things. He takes what's His... His animals, his beasts, his livestock, his birds, his fish, his creeping things. He says, this is yours to take care of. This is yours to exercise stewardship and dominion over. And notice too that this dominion over the animals, as Philip pointed out, this is not meant to be a burden. This is a blessing We're told in verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the beasts of the earth. So this dominion, this stewardship that God has given us, it's not meant to be a burden. It's meant to be a gift. Says these are all the wonderful things that I've made, all the wonderful creatures that inhabit the earth and they're yours to care for. And this becomes more obvious in chapter 2, where God gives Adam the responsibility for naming the animals. But it's clear that God is happy to give responsibility for his animals to man. 
And that we are to receive that responsibility as a gift. This doesn't mean it's always easy to exercise stewardship over living things. Just yesterday I was talking with Chris about a a goat that they have. And he was explaining to me that he and Laura both have bruises all up and down their legs from this goat ramming into them. By the way, if anybody's in the market for a dwarf Nigerian goat, um, uh, it's great, super friendly, gets along well with kids. You can talk to Chris and he'd be sure to took you up, but sometimes animals can be frustrated. Just this morning, I woke up to hear Boaz uh, whimpering in his kennel, and when I went in there, I was greeted first by the smell. Evidently, he had gotten to some table scraps or something yesterday, and I won't go into graphic detail, but there was a mess, a big one. And so here I am on Sunday morning, hosing out the kennel, and giving the dog a bath, and I'm muttering under my breath, I'm supposed to be praying and prepping for sermons and doing the important things, you know. And I realize about halfway through that bath, this is what I'm preaching about. God's giving me this sermon prep this morning at 7.30 when I want to be going over my notes and praying and doing all the things that I feel like I should be doing. He's saying, here's this animal that you're supposed to be responsible for. And you've got to clean this mess out of his fur. I've seen my parents demonstrate this well. They've farmed their entire lives and their parents farmed before them. And I've seen on Christmas Day, when we're trying to prepare for the the big dinner, my dad slipping on his coveralls and going out and firing up the tractor and feeding cows a bell of hay because you've got to. Got to water them. They're his responsibility. It's difficult, but this is part of the responsibility that God has given us to steward living things. This means a great deal for us. As I said, the, the applications of this principle are myriad. For one, it means that we are supposed to live in close relationship with animals. We are meant to care for them. We're supposed to make sure that environments exist where animals can thrive and in turn those animals will enrich our lives and enable us to do necessary work even the crawling things sometimes especially the crawling things i mean we we can't get into all the ways that we need certain crawling things to ensure that we can eat and survive all the little worms that pass through the soil the bees especially that pollinate the plants that grow the vegetables that we eat. We couldn't survive without them. And so we need to be mindful of all these things that God has placed in our charge because if we just go about our lives without thinking about the necessary steps that have to be taken to make sure that they thrive, we won't be able to survive. Sometimes they participate in our labors more directly. I want you to consider the fact that up until really less than a hundred years ago, every piece of farm equipment that had ever existed had four legs and hooves. Man has used animals since the very beginning to help him accomplish his labor. It was by the sweat of our brow that we would eat, but also by the labor of animals and livestock. It's only recently, very recently in the history of humanity that we've exchanged horses and oxen for John Deere's. 
we're international harvesters. Our family was always international harvester, right? And we were very particular about that. But nonetheless, animals have also provided things that we need from their own bodies. After Adam and Eve sinned, God had to cover their nakedness. We're told with skins from animals. And ever since then, ever since the fall, when sin entered into the world and death entered into God's good creation, ever since it became apparent that fig leaves weren't going to cut it as a covering of clothes, we've worn animal skins or sheep's wool. They've been necessary components of our clothing. We forget, really, because we're, we're so blinded by the modern that that synthetic materials that allow us to have shoes and belts made from something other than cow skins are very recent developments and blends of fabric that allow us to have clothing from something other than cotton or wool is very recent. We also see that after the flood, man was given permission by God to actually consume animal flesh For food, you'll notice that wasn't part of the deal right here in Eden. The dominion that God gives Adam over the animals does not include eating them. So Adam never got to have a T-bone steak or wings or a pork chop. It kind of serves him right. But nonetheless, he gives Adam dominion over the animals, stewardship, but only the plants to eat. That comes later. But since the flood, since God gave mankind this permission, we've seen that people have found ways to abuse that. One of the most egregious examples of our failure in this area is the well-documented hunting to near extinction of the American buffalo. Not for food, but for sport. As people would take trains across the country and hang out the windows and just shoot the buffalo where they stood and leave their carcasses behind to rot. That's not at all what God had in mind when He gave us dominion over the animals. The irresponsible slaughter of a species for sport alone is thoroughly unchristian. It's an unchristian idea. But that, of course, does not mean there's no place for hunting. Any hunter worth their salt would tell you that hunting is a necessary part of conserving and maintaining a healthy wildlife population by selectively, carefully killing appropriate numbers of animals in a given area that prevents disease and starvation that's brought about by overpopulation, all while ensuring that the animal population is still able to replenish itself, to carry on its existence in that area. This principle, by the way, doesn't come from any hunting organizations or the NRA or anything like that. It's actually articulated in Scripture. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 22. There the Lord gives the people these instructions. He says, if you come across a bird's nest in any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs, and the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall let the mother go. But the young you may take for yourself that it may go well with you, and that you may live long. Now this, this passage is stunning because it articulates a principle that we are supposed to preserve the producer. 
And it ensures that this bird population will survive. There will be more eggs, more birds, because you've left the mother. Your greed and your hunger has not must be tempered by your responsibility to care for these animals. And this command even comes with a promise. And this, this promise, I think, is astounding because look at what God says. He says, as you do this small thing, as you leave the mother on the nest but collect the eggs, instead, as you exercise responsible gathering techniques, look what, look what happens. He says, it will go well with you and you will live long. There's blessing attached to responsible animal stewardship. Human flourishing is connected in Scripture to our taking care of the animals around us. Making sure they're able to thrive, their species is able to continue. Alongside this, humans, especially Christians, should be opposed to all forms of of animal abuse and neglect and suffering. We should never, under any circumstances, mistreat animals. And even those of us that hunt, we should make sure that we are sufficiently adequate as hunters to actually be able to take good shots so we don't injure and maim animals and cause them to suffer. It's clear from how God speaks about animals in Scripture that He intends there to be a healthy partnership between man and beast. And that when properly carried out, this leads to the health and well-being of animals and of mankind. He says, if you do this, you will live long in the land. Similar to how God gives us the stewardship over living things, He also gives us stewardship over growing things. He tells Adam and Eve that they are to have all the green plants for food. To steward them. Just as they are the animals. This necessarily implies, I think, that man is also supposed to care for the land that produces growing things. Now again, there are many applications for us here. From avoiding pollution and littering, Christians should not litter. Right? This is a very simple but straightforward thing that we can take from this. You should not throw trash out your car windows Onto the land that's meant to produce food for us. All the way to promoting healthy farming techniques. Being wise about how food is grown. Like with the overhunting of the buffalo. We have seen the stewardship of growing things go terribly wrong in our culture. We've seen factories in the past dump pollutants into our waterways and into the soil. At one point in our country, things were so bad that about 50 years ago in Cleveland, Ohio, the Cuyahoga River actually caught fire because there had been so many pollutants dumped into it. When a river catches on fire, you know that things have gone bad. We see companies clear-cut large swaths of forest with no regard for soil or the health of the land. In our own state, just east of here, We see that entire mountaintops have been removed in order for people to get to the coal. Large-scale industrial farms will plow over the land, plowing through gullies and hillsides, causing catastrophic soil erosion. We learned this the hard way in the 1920s when it resulted in the Great Dust Bowl. 
like our stewardship over living things, we see that humanity flourishes when we care for the soil, when we care for growing things, when we work in partnership with the land around us. But we suffer when we ignore and abuse the land. Now, some of you at this point, you may be thinking, okay, he's starting to sound a little weird. Starting to sound like one of those tree huggers up there. Indeed, some of this may sound weird to us because we have become alienated from the land around us. As a result of the fall, we learn that the land produces thorns and thistles and that we labor by the sweat of our brows. We've gone from being partners with the world that God created to becoming increasingly adversarial towards it. But all that's a result of the fall. It's not how God intended us to exist in this world that He made. And this alienation has led us to falsely believe that the world around us doesn't matter that much. That's somebody else's problem. Furthermore, I think for many of us, caring for the environment has become so politicized, like everything else, that if people we disagree with on certain political issues advocate for caring for the environment, we think, well, that must not be any good either. We need to throw that out too, because we disagree with them on one issue, we must necessarily disagree with them on another. We assume disagreement. But let me assure you that it wasn't quote-unquote tree huggers that came up with these ideas. It was God Himself in His Word. God cares for the land. How do I know that? Because He tells us so explicitly in Deuteronomy 11. Moses tells the people about the promised land. He says, But the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water by the rain from heaven. A land that the Lord your God cares for. In case there's any confusion, he says, The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it, from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. You see, the promised land wasn't just a place on the map for God. It wasn't just the final destination for his people. He cares for it. He loves the land that he has made and is blessed and his eyes are always upon it. And so he gives his people special instructions regarding the land. Even as they're going into the land to conquer it, listen to this from Deuteronomy 20. He gives them very specific instructions regarding the trees. He says, when you besiege a city for a long time, making war against it in order to take it, you shall not destroy its trees by wielding an axe against them. You may eat from them, but you shall not cut them down. Are the trees in the field human that that they should be besieged by you? Only the trees that you know are not trees for food may you destroy and cut down, that you may build siege works against the city that makes war with you until it falls. So God tells the people here, he says, as you're going in, as you are making war, right? You've heard the saying, all's fair in love and war. Well, God says, no, that's not true. You can't cut the trees down. You might think that's a, a very small consideration, but this is where the Lord's heart is. When at all costs, right? No, God says, take care of the trees. Don't cut them down. Especially the ones that produce food. They're there for your good. However, he does say the trees that are not for food 
can be used by you to make tools. This is an important principle because it shows us that we can both use and preserve the land and the trees. It's not either or. Some people want to paint everything in black and white. You must either preserve or use, but you can't do both. But that's not the case here. The same principle, I think, could apply to something like coal that we mentioned earlier. Coal is a valuable resource. It provides so many people here in our state with a livelihood. It provides us with energy for our homes, fuel for industries. On the back of one of our vehicles, I have a license plate that says coal keeps the lights on. Right? But that doesn't give us the right to mow down mountains in order to get it. To destroy the land in order to retrieve it. If it is to be retrieved, let it be retrieved responsibly, carefully, preserving the land. Preserving what God has made. Similarly, God also commands His people to, to practice responsible farming. <coughs> he tells them in Exodus 23, He says, For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield. But the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow that the poor of your people may eat. And what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Now imagine letting your land, as you're a farmer, Letting all of your fields lie fallow for an entire year. That would take some faith. That would take some believing that the Lord's going to take care of you when you're not cultivating this land. And God promises them that if you will do this, your harvest leading up to this year will be bountiful. You'll have more food than you need. You'll be able to set food away and you won't go hungry throughout this year. They will have plenty of food. This was also good practice for the land. To let it rest and replenish itself so that the soil would not become depleted by growing things year after year after year. Even recently, we know that, that farmers here practice crop rotation because the land can't just produce year after year after year without rest. However, in recent years, we've come to depend more heavily on things like chemical fertilizers. Which create their own pollutants. And so we'll just plow the soil over, plant it, harvest it, dump a bunch of chemicals on it so that it can do it all again. Year after year. Because we have come to care more about profits than the actual land. If you still aren't convinced though about how important the care of the land was for the Lord, we see later in Scripture that this law about giving Sabbath let rest to the land was ultimately one of the main reasons why his people were taken into captivity. In Second Chronicles 36, we read this. It says, He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him until his son, and, and to his sons until the establishment of the kingdom of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. Until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the, year, all the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. So you might ask, why were the people in captivity in Babylon for 70 years? It was because they had failed to keep 70 Sabbaths for the land. 
They had failed to obey this command to give the land its rest. So God says, if you're not going to give the land its rest, I'm going to get you out of the land so the land can rest. God cares about the land. Scripture has much, much more to say about the land and our relationship to it than we possibly have time to cover this morning. But suffice it to say, God has placed man on earth to care for his creation. Animals, plants, the soil, the water. And when we do so carefully and responsibly, we flourish. We're blessed. But when we ignore these responsibilities and do not practice good stewardship, we suffer. Us and the animals and the soil and the water. We are able to use what God has given us, the resources He's placed on this earth, but responsibly so. There's one last component, one more thing that we have to understand this morning very quickly. And that is that while God has given us the earth and all that is in it to exercise dominion over, that doesn't mean that we can just do whatever we want with it. And there's a reason for that. That reason is that there is a true authority that coincides with our stewardship. That's what stewardship means. It means that our authority is a borrowed authority. And that God Himself is the ultimate authority over all that He has made. Psalm 24.1 reminds us, The earth is the Lord's and all the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. Because of this, because the earth is His and we are His stewards, we have a responsibility to God to use the earth according to His plans and purposes. The same is true For us as well. Just as the earth is the Lord's, Scripture also reminds us that our bodies, our very lives belong to Him. In 1 Corinthians 6, the Bible tells us, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So the earth is the Lord's. But He's given us stewardship and dominion to exercise a borrowed authority for our good and for His glory. In the same way, just as the earth is His, our lives are His. And He has given us stewardship, dominion for a little while, for our good and for His glory. But in both circumstances, our freedom over the earth around us and over our very lives is not an absolute freedom to do whatever we want. We cannot treat animals, the earth, the soil, the water, however we want with no repercussions. Neither can we treat our lives and our bodies however we want with no repercussions. And the problem is, just like we have failed miserably at times and repeatedly to responsibly steward the earth, so too we have failed miserably and repeatedly to responsibly steward our own lives. But here's the good part. Just like the earth is groaning under the weight of sin and God is working to bring about a transformation a new heavens and a new earth, when Christ returns, so too He is working to bring about a transformation in our lives, making us new creations in Christ Jesus, erasing the scars of neglect and abuse in our own lives, removing the guilt and the stains of sin. But just as the earth only flourishes under proper stewardship, under God's authority, so too our lives will only flourish under God's true authority. 
He is making all things new. Is He making you new? Is He replenishing, renewing your life, even as He does the earth? Are you groaning like the earth under the weight of sin, awaiting the day when Christ returns and makes all things new? If you will submit to Him as the one true and proper authority in your life, if you will recognize Christ who died for your sins and who rose from the dead as Lord, we have a glorious, renewed future awaiting us. In a renewed earth where man and nature will live in absolute harmony. The way it was in the garden is a good blessing, as a good gift from God. Listen, I hope you're there to experience it. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be wonderful when we see what it's meant to look like when man and God's creation lives in harmony together in partnership. If you'd like to know how that can be true of you, we can settle that today. You can become a new creation today by submitting your life to the one who has true authority over the earth and over us. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the hope that it contains for the promise of renewal, of restoration, of redemption that we have We thank You, Lord, that there's coming a day when there will be a new heavens and a new earth, when pollution will be no more, when animals being sick and diseased and maimed will be no more, when the violence carried out between animals will be no more, and the lion and the lamb will lie down together. Lord, until that day, help us to exercise good and proper stewardship over the things that You have made, whether it's cleaning a mess out of a dog kennel or feeding cows hay in the cold of winter, rotating our crops, picking up trash on the ground around us. Help us to be good and faithful stewards, not only of the world around us, but of our own lives. Help us to steward this life that you've given us well, knowing ultimately, Lord, that we are yours. We have been bought with a price. And so we owe our allegiance, our faithfulness, our lives to you. Lord, if we have not submitted, I pray that we would do so today. By the grace of Jesus Christ, our Lord, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about today's sermon or would like more information about Boone's Creek Baptist Church, You can send us an email at boonscreekchurch at gmail.com or you can give us a call at 859-263-5466. You can also find us online at www.boonscreekchurch.com. Thank you and have a blessed day.